Big Dumb Movie is a comedic podcast that often contains obscene language and outlandish commentary. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Big Dumb Movie, where we discuss movies of the big dumb variety. I'm your host, Corey, and I'm here with my buddies forever, Steve. Aw, thank you. And review dude, Josh. What's up, bruh? <laughs> or should I call him Kyle? Yeah, right. Oh, man. A little slice of 90s that guy was. We are here continuing our very special October episodes, and this time we have a movie called Brain Scan. Brain Scan. Brain Scan is ready. <laughs> uh, Brain Scan is a movie that I'm sure our listeners have definitely heard of. It's a very popular movie. No, it's a random, obscure movie that Steve wanted to do a podcast on. This is part of why I wanted to do it. I see. Yeah. Yeah, well, this will get some plays. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll get people real excited about this movie. <laughs> Highest viewed episode. Brain Scan <laughs> is a movie that was released on April 22nd, 1994. Made about $4 million. Sits at Rotten Tomatoes with a 13% rating. Not very well remembered, this movie, but I do want to quickly take us back in time to 1994, specifically April when this movie came out. There was some interesting movies that came out around the same time as this one, and I like to do this occasionally just to bring us back, put us in that mindset, okay? So potentially in theaters, at the same time as Brain Scan, here are some of the ones that caught my eye. D2 The Mighty Ducks. I saw that one too. Yeah, the superior Mighty Ducks, in my opinion. I think that one's better than the first one. Bigger stakes, you know? (laughs) The Godfather 2 of the Mighty Ducks. (laughs) Uh, Monkey Trouble. I'm sure Steve remembers Monkey Trouble. Holy shit, do I remember Monkey Trouble. I think I've suggested Monkey Trouble for an episode of this podcast, even though it's really difficult to sit through. Yeah, it's been rejected out of hand multiple times. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, try sitting on a flight to Hawaii where it's the in-flight movie. That's it? <laughs> I've done it. There was one? It was, I think there were two movies on the flight, but that was one of them. They're both Thor Birch movies. It was Monkey Trouble and American Beauty. It's also vastly inferior to uh, Monkey Shines, which is a much more entertaining monkey movie. Yeah, let's do a podcast on it. We should actually do Monkey Shines. Okay, <laughs> deal. PCU. You guys remember PCU? I like PCU. That That's one of those 90s comedies that sort of fell off the radar. I mean, it was really popular on Comedy Central for years afterward, but that, that movie's amusing. I'm unfamiliar with it. PCU's great. That's worth checking out. Very, yeah. Very early John Favreau. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. early a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, Piven's in it. There's a lot of people yeah, in that movie. Yeah, he's great in that. Yeah, he is. It's the perfect part for him. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Here's the deal. You got to get all this 50s cornball shit out of your head. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. And if you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. Free Nelson Mandela. They freed him already. Also, Leprechaun 2. Remember, Steve, we did a podcast on the first Leprechaun many moons ago. Yeah. It got a sequel because it was so good. It got several sequels for God knows what reason. He's gone to the hood. He's gone to space. He's gone everywhere. This Leprechaun's all over the fucking place. 
from the land of the Irish Spring. Dublin's the place where I learned my thing. From the Emerald Isle to your place in the hood. I'm the man of green, come to do no good. Lep in the hood, come to do no good. Lep in the hood, come to do no good. Blunt is dope, this place is hype. There's a last issue just by time. Clifford. The Martin Short movie. Oof, that's a rough watch, too. <laughs> I kind of like Clifford. Yeah, I can understand why, but God, it's obnoxious. It's easily the most obnoxious thing Martin Short was ever in. <laughs> I've, like, consciously avoided this movie. You should. <laughs> no, Clifford is great. We did a podcast on Clifford at Spoilers just I like for the fun. Short you did for we it. We just decided, let's just do Clifford. And uh, it was a good time. It was at least fun discussing it. Wow. Martin, I am so glad you're here. I got in a train to run away, but a person tried to touch my no-no special place. And then when I got back, there were bikers here, and they tied me up, Uncle Martin. And then they told me stories that they do on their bikes. Some of them were fun, but some of them were scary. Beverly Hills Cop 3. I, I like the Beverly Hills Cop movies. Three's not the best one, but it's I, it's entertaining. I don't know why, for me, that movie's entertaining. Is it's it because fun. it's in a... Amusement park. It's part of it. It's not even the best Beverly Hills Cop, but I like that. I think that franchise is my favorite from Eddie Murphy, aside from uh, 48 Hours. But yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Speaking of not the best in the franchise, Three Ninjas Kick Back. Well, I mean, none of those are really very good. Come on. I'm very familiar with that one right now. I'm editing uh, the big dumb movie highlight currently. Yes. Josh and me are kind of like... Three ninjas connoisseurs in a way. We we seem to always be discussing three ninjas. For like the last several years, we've been in a constant state of three ninjas discussions, either on the podcast or off, right, Josh? Is that why you got that giant chest sized tattoo of Tum Tum? (laughs) Dude, stop. All right, fine. All right, I'm going to edit that part out. (laughs) The Crow was in theaters at the same time as this movie. Do you think yes. that killed this movie's chances? Oh, it certainly didn't help. Because, I mean, a lot of the same older teenage audience that this was aimed for would have gone to see that. I, I ended up seeing I ended up seeing both. But, uh, but yeah, man, The Crow, was, that, was, that was awesome. I mean, for a teenager in the early 90s, at least, that was fucking Maybe awesome. Maybe if Edward Furlong got shot making this movie, people would have watched it more. You know, and then he turned up in a, what was it, the third quote, Crow sequel? It was awful. Fourth. Fourth. Wicked Prayer. Yeah, you go. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, it's oh, bad. I'm familiar with that one. No, Josh is the this is the, the crow guy. <laughs> Josh yeah. is wearing crow makeup as we speak. Well, then let's... As do, we speak. Let's do that one too, Josh. I'm a big fan of the first one. Oh, yeah. I okay. love the first one, of We'll course. do the crow four. Locked in. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> uh, lastly, this is the final noteworthy one I, I jotted down. Our favorite movie of 1994, The Flintstones. Oh, man, what a gem. Yeah, I, I don't know. There are, are, As an adult, I don't really want to watch it anymore, but I, we did a pot on that, didn't we? We did. Yeah, I mean, it's, the, the set design was really cool for that movie. Fuck that movie. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but we're here to talk about Brain Scan. Brain Scan is a very interesting one. I saw it for the first time for this podcast, as did Josh. It's uh, so weird yes. that you, I would have pegged you as being the kind of kid that would have watched this. I don't mean that in a neg- as a negative. Oh, I would have been. Yeah. I just never heard of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I was familiar with a poster. I'm surprised I haven't come across yeah. it. And without getting too much into it, once we got into like the like last 20 minutes, I realized why I'd never heard of it. <laughs> this movie reminds me of a lengthier, R-rated, more hardcore version of a Goosebumps book or TV episode. 
So before we discuss brain scan more in depth, I kind of want to just touch on goosebumps because I figure we never really get a chance to talk about goosebumps here. We're never going to do a review of a goosebumps movie. I'm no. pretty sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about goosebumps. What are your memories of it, Steve? I loved that that series when I was like a pre adolescent, whatever you want to call it. That that was like my first introduction to anything like horror literature. I mean, as close as you could get for like a 10 year old, you know, back back then. In fact, I read the shit out of them for uh, over a period of a year. So frequently my, my mother actually got concerned that I was becoming like macabre and, and, and like, she's like, is something wrong with you? Is there a reason you only want to read these, these dark books? And then you she were going to become Edward Furlong in brain scan. Yeah, exactly. Or Ed Gein <laughs> or something, you know? But yeah, I, I really loved them, and uh, I, I I stuck with them for probably two years or so until I graduated to more grown-up horror stuff, which is not a knock at Goosebumps. It was the perfect material for someone that age, really entertaining stuff. What about you, Josh? Like I was saying off the or before we started recording, I don't know what really came first, the chicken or the egg, but I got into the books and the show relatively around the same time. We got fond memories of both, actually. The books definitely came out first, because I remember when the first Goosebumps episode came out. It was kind of a big deal, from what I remember. Everyone was talking about it. I remember my parents telling me about it. They somehow saw it before me, right? which was weird. They were telling me about it. Anyway, it was The Haunted Mask. That was, I think, the Mm. pilot Goosebumps TV episode. Right. And uh, that was one of the books that I liked a lot. That was like one of the more famous ones. There was a lot of Goosebumps books that I read and a lot that I liked. I just want to kind of go into some specifics from my memories here. So we're going to do a little deep dive. Welcome to Camp Nightmare. That was one I liked a lot. That was one of the first ones I read. I read that one a lot, yeah. (laughs) I remember the name for sure. I had a Welcome to Camp Nightmare t-shirt. Oh, what? Yeah, there's pictures of me wearing it. That book... Holy shit. Okay, so it's a kid that goes to a camp. Right, and it's like run like a military camp, and he's like in over his head, and there's all this like weird stuff going on. Kids start going missing, right? Like they go into a boat, and a kid like gets pulled under the water. There's like seemingly a haunted cabin that they're not allowed to go into, and our point of view character is kind of going through all of this. He's surviving. His friends are disappearing, and then at the end, it's like all a test, and they're all actually aliens. And they're going to invade Earth. Every Goosebumps has like a weird twist that yeah. comes out of fucking nowhere. I was going to say, a lot of the twists are, they're just aliens. <laughs> like, <laughs> my invisible friend, <laughs> yeah, they're just aliens. So, a little bit like M. Night Shyamalan, the twists got lazier as they went along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if they were ever that, like, sophisticated it's in Goosebumps. True. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said that Big Trouble in Little China has a Goosebumps ending. Right, because the monsters on the truck, like <laughs> that, would be the ending of a Goosebumps. It's true, but I love that movie. Uh, Night of the Living Dummy was kind of a classic. It was basically yeah. a ventriloquist dummy comes to life and he's yeah. evil. And then I think the twist on that one was is that one of the kids was also a dummy the whole time. I I don't really right. I, I think Hayden Christensen was in the TV episode of that. That was like early Hayden Christensen when he was a teenager. Oh man, was he busy picking sand out of his clothes? Yes, most of the episode was spent that way. I'm going to keep going, though. I'm not done. All right, so later on, 
Goosebumps took advantage of the choose-your-own-adventure style books. Oh, I loved those. I was going to bring one of these up as a, as a book I was uh, familiar with. Oh, the, uh, go. The Deadly Experiments of Dr. Eek. Ooh. <laughs> that was a Goosebumps book? That sounds very familiar. That, that was a choose-your-own-ending Goosebumps. I read the shit out of that one for some reason. Did you try to, like, go through all the endings? Because I, I would do oh, that. Of course. Of course, yeah. My favorite... And this is just my favorite Goosebumps book, Full Stop, is one of those kinds of books. It's called Little Comic Shop of Horrors. Well, yeah. That one drew me in right away because yeah, it's a comic shop. So the premise is fucking dope. Right. You're, the kid, it's you, I guess, goes into a comic <laughs> shop, and you whatever comic book you pick up, you get sucked in. Oh, shit. And then while you're in that book, you can jump to a new comic book, or you can stay in that one. Some of them you have like superpowers and like you can choose what you're going to do if you're going to battle people. Some of them you're like a fucking Dude. an NPC. <laughs> I would have ended up in Spawn getting torn apart by devils or chains or something. Yes. Know? Well, they didn't have the rights to a existing IP, but yeah. you know, That's what they, they tried to rip off some stuff from right. what I remember. Husky Todd McFarlane. Right. <laughs> Another one that was uh, kind of similarly cool was Escape from Carnival of Horrors. You can kind of see that the naming convention of Goosebump books kind of gets recycled a lot, you know? (laughs) I remember in in a little bit later in my life, they kind of relaunched or rebranded Goosebumps. Yeah. It was called Series 2000. Because remember, everything was 2000 after the year 2000. (laughs) There was one that I read, and this is what got me to fall off Goosebumps fandom. I am your evil twin. (laughs) It was about a kid who was constantly getting tormented by what he thinks is a clone. And then at the very end, the guy's like, I'm not a clone. I'm your evil twin. And it ends. And it's like, all right, fuck these books. I'm out of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too old for this shit. Yeah. I, I, Surprise, I, his twin wasn't an alien. I was already a, a <laughs> junior in high school in 2000. So I, I think by then, I yeah, I was way off reading them. I don't even really remember. I remember those ones existing, but none of the stories. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind, I was in seventh grade. So yeah. yeah I mean, you were a few years younger than me for sure. Yeah. <laughs> And real quick, there was a parody series of Goosebumps books. The author was listed as R.U. Slime, obviously a pen name. R.L. Stein. One of the books was called Eat Cheese and Barf. I remember that distinctly and thinking that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. If I'd been 11 or 12, the title alone would have made me want that book. I wouldn't have even looked to see what it was about. I would have just picked it up and taken it to my mother and said, I want this book. Exactly. (laughs) I wanted it too. I never got it. Those books were called Goofflumps. Goofflumps. You know, later on, R.L. Stein just decided to try writing some adult horror. I don't think anyone really paid any attention to it. Hmm. Yeah. That might have, is that Fear Street? Yeah, that sounds right. I don't, I'm not 100% on that name, but it's, that sounds, sounds correct. Yeah. I was completely unfamiliar with, was it Gooseflumps? Goofflumps. 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 Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> Obviously, the Eat Cheese and Barf is a parody of Say Cheese and Die. They were all really oh. direct parodies of existing Goosebumps books. It's like the mad magazine of Goosebumps books. Yeah. <laughs> Never actually read one. I could only imagine their quality is not great. Subpar. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to judge them having never read them. I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I mean, there was very little chance of it being great literature in any case, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a bunch of Goosebumps books. I think I only read about, you know... 75% of them. There were still books I had left unread because I had that many. Yeah, same. <laughs> anyway, this movie is uh, 
very much like Goosebumps in many ways. We'll discuss that as we go on. I do feel like if they'd been making, if they tried to do a second series of Goosebumps that was aimed at like maybe, maybe like 15 to 18 year olds instead of like 12 to 14 year olds, that this would have been a story for one of the older kids, you know? Mm. It's it's just just a little bit more mature than what they would have aimed. I think like a ten year old. Right. It's one demographic up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so brain scan, Steve. How the hell was this movie made? I uh, wish I could tell you. Ah, oh, goddamn. <laughs> I mean, you know, the 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 guy who directed it is a dude named John Flynn. Flynn's been uh, deceased since 2007, had a kind of compressed career as a director. Dude started off as a journalist. There's a very famous director named Robert Wise, directed a lot of old stuff you, you probably would have heard of. But Robert Wise hired this dude, John Flynn, to um, do research for him on a biopic film that was going to be about this really famous a photographer, photojournalist named Robert Kappa. The movie never got made, but Robert Wise liked John Flynn so much that he started using Flynn on other projects. And he he, he used Flynn as his assistant on a 1959 neo-noir film called, uh, or really noir film called Odds Against Tomorrow. Um, Flynn went on to work as a first and assist, second assistant director on a whole bunch of other stuff. The one big thing that he did on his own, it's not really even big, it's kind of a cult film, is a movie called uh, Rolling Thunder. And it's actually one of Quentin Tarantino's famous favorite films. It's, it's sort of an exploitationist type film. It's a dramatic thriller. Um, it was very controversial for the level of violence that the film had in it. And um, that, that one is kind of John Flynn's big trademark film. During the 80s, he went on to work with uh, James Woods, Sylvester Stallone, and Steven Seagal on a bunch of stuff. He actually directed the Seagal movie Out for Justice, which is a real weird turn for this dude. But uh, he only worked twice as a director after this movie came out and uh, spent most of his, his last few years alive living in France. Other than that, I really don't know. I have no idea where the screenplay for this came from. There, there was not like a big production background for this. It's just I think I think the script sort of got written and some people were like, yeah, we can make money doing this. Do you think Edward Furlong kicked him out of Hollywood? Kicked John Flynn out of Hollywood? Yeah. Well, probably not, but the two of them did not like working with each other, apparently. Flynn described Eddie Furlong as a 15-year-old kid who couldn't act and who you had to slap awake every morning. He actually specifically said he was not a fan of Furlong's and didn't enjoy working with them. And uh, unfortunately, I really do mean unfortunately, I think that this might have overlapped with the very beginning of Furlong's substance abuse issues. And you, I think there are moments in the film where you can kind of see it. The way he portrays the character, and so there are certain moments where it's like, this dude's on pills. But yeah, I, I, so anyway, it was, not, it was not a good working experience for them, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go into the movie itself. Josh, how does Brain Scan kick off? Okay, so the opening credits are spliced together with a car crash scene. I guess Eddie Furlong is having a nightmare about his mom's death. And then we get his, like, little Siri setup. It's like the Igor system. What the fuck? Yeah, so, I mean, you're talking about the beginning. So he's, like, remembering how his mom died. He got in an accident. His knee got injured. And, uh... I was kept waiting for that to come back. Steve, what's going on? Why didn't that come back? 
Yeah, they they <laughs> they did do very little of it. Like you, you get the impression. So th- th- it's a dream about him and his mother having been in this terrible car crash. His leg is horribly injured, which they establish a moment later when he wakes up, and his mother dies in the crash. And you feel like the trauma from this is something that's supposed to play out through the rest of the movie. And there was an opportunity for them to do that. But it mostly just becomes a way to explain why his mother is not around. And you're just sort of meant to understand that his dad's away on business, which is something they only underline once during the film with a voicemail message. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so he's got a he's got a bad leg and uh, some trauma they never bothered to really explore from from a car accident that his mother died in. And then this movie goes into the '90s hard. Yeah, yes. Which this is that's yes. my favorite part about this movie <laughs> is that it's so hard '90s. <laughs> this movie to me was like Videodrome meets Hackers. I yeah, you know what? I could sort of see that, although without a lot of the. Um, thoughtful parts of Videodrome, but yeah. Yeah, right, like service level. <laughs> Definitely very shallow Cronenberg. <laughs> Hackers, that's a very good reference to this, because like the technology yeah. is a little bit ahead of what it should be, right? Right. I mean, the 90s stuff is just oozing in this. Like, all right, you talked about Igor. Uh, our main character, Michael, has a CRT TV phone, right? It's like a Siri but it's like a virtual assistant Igor. It's it's like horror themed and he can just speak to his TV and it'll yeah. call numbers, it'll hold his calls, etc. Well, he's got this television that's it's not a normal television. To me it looks like it, what they call a PVM, which is a production monitor used by professionals. It's a widescreen monitor, which would have been really rare in the early 90s. They existed, but not many people had them. And yeah, he's got the he's got his computer, which is this old uh, Memorex IBM compatible PC. It's how long ago this was made. It's connected to the, the TV set. And it's, it's like, yeah, he's got phone software. It's, he's got a hard phone too. But obviously the, the computer's connected via modem to the phone line and he's got phone software and it takes voice commands. And his his sort of assistant, this is one of my favorite touches of the movie, is supposed to be Igor, sort of Igor from the Dracula stories. And uh, uh, he just tells Frankenstein. Igor. Frankenstein. Or Frankenstein, yeah. And he just tells uh, tells Igor what, you know, Igor dialed this number, blah, blah, which seemed like total fantasy at the time, but like, I mean, you've been able to do that with a smartphone now for 15 years or more. Like, I can just tell my phone, dial Corey, and you come up. Talk to me. Kyle is calling, Martha. Hello? I know you're there, dude. Hey, sausage dick, man, listen up. Yeah, but <laughs> give me that Igor voice. Right, dude, I want yeah, that. Yeah, I want the Igor voice, and I want the photo slideshow. When somebody calls me, I want a photo slideshow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's got a grunge BFF, Kyle. Kyle. <laughs> he's like surfer dude, grunge, 90s as fuck, got some 90s hair, dresses as 90s as he can. It's pretty fucking cool. Here it is, here it is. Choose from Chainsaw Dismemberment, Nightmare 8. Da, da, da. Satisfy your sickest fantasies. <laughs> Far out, man. It's just an ad bird brain. Just hype. Remember, Gore Beast? Trash. Dude, man, it's, it's interactive CD ROM. Here, you gotta look at the ad at least, man. It's in Fangoria. You know, the one with the uh, with the popping eyeballs on the cover. Alright, where is it? Yeah. Here. Um. We dare you to participate in the most frightening experience available on this planet. State of the art. Run amok. 
unleash the dark side of your soul. Enter a game that feels more real than reality. <laughs> it's interactive, dude. You're in the game, man. You're in control. They reference Fangoria magazine, which oh, uh, yeah. is something I haven't heard about for a long time. Might still exist. It does. They still publish it. They do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I haven't been into it myself in a long time, but it is still around. <laughs> and this is a little bit later, but this was funny to me. His principal has a framed photo of Bill Clinton on the wall. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Imagine Ugh. having a framed picture of the current president on your wall. Do you I, like any president enough to do that? I mean, no. no. I mean, if you were going to do it, you'd think it would be like Washington or Lincoln or something <laughs> like that. But I think that was a thing, though. I, I know they do it like in government offices where there's like there's, there's, they keep a framed poster up of the, the current president. I've seen it in other movies. It's really weird. It's very strange. Yeah. So, Steve, tell us about Michael. He's a regular George McFly, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, without the uh, charisma. But <laughs> yeah, Michael, Michael's a little bit of a loner. He obviously does not have a real wide circle of friends. He's not a complete, like, crazy weirdo type. He's just not very social or very popular. He seems to spend most of his time indulging in horror movies and games and really anything kind of scary. He obviously likes metal music quite a lot. He and Kyle and some other classmates have a horror movie club, which becomes an issue of contention shortly. Um, yeah, they're not allowed to watch Death, Death, Death Part 2 anymore. <laughs> right. That was the most goosebumps as fuck thing ever, right? The, the right. fact that he had a horror club. And like, you know, the reality is I think a kid like that would have really wanted to watch something like Cannibal Holocaust, but you know, that's pretty terrible stuff. So you're not going to put that in this movie. They frame this movie that they're watching like it's that. Yeah, though. exactly. Yeah. 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 So and then, you know, the discussion, the discussion comes up uh, about the game. Kyle calls him right at the beginning. Uh, this is a moment I still think is kind of weird. He, Michael Furlong's character is asleep. He has the nightmare about his mother dying in this car crash. What wakes him up is the phone ringing and it's Kyle and it's got to be like midnight. And I understand, you know, teenagers are up late, blah, blah, blah. I was certainly up late plenty of times in high school on the phone. But like, I think once it got to me midnight, your friends weren't really calling anymore. You know, like even at 17, they were I just, I, I don't remember getting a lot of calls at midnight. Maybe I just wasn't popular enough. I don't know. Well, that's how important brain scan. Exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's an interactive CD-ROM, Steve. <laughs> Which I love. Well, and that's this is part of what I love about this movie because that was such a new and novel thing still in 94. In 94, there were still a lot of people whose computers didn't even have optical drives in them. And and Michael's computer doesn't. Michael's got an external optical drive because he doesn't have one built into his computer. Yeah, the tray detaches. The tray detaches and it takes caddies. And I, I had a computer in the early 90s with a CD drive that used caddies. It was the funniest fucking thing. And yeah, I mean, that... That was part of what made the movie so cool for me when this came out at 11 is like that was that was still so new and so novel. This whole idea, you get a whole game on a disc and it's digital and it's interactive and it really draws you in. And yeah, so so Michael, Michael's uh, really into all this stuff. And he and Kyle have a moment where they discuss because Kyle's trying to convince me you want this brain scan game. And Michael's like, no, we played these six other ones and they're all lame. They're all terrible. <laughs> Josh, I don't think Steve quite got my George McFly joke, but um, <laughs> what is it that Michael does for fun when he's, uh, you know... Okay, he's so he he's totally spying on his neighbor friend, Kimberly. She likes but, it. Yeah, I was totally about to say, she's totally into it. <laughs> right? It turns out they're sort of spying on each other, but you don't know that yet. It's weird, right? 
It is kind of weird. It's Although, weird. I mean, you know, that, well, there's a line at which it becomes so creepy that, that it's too creepy, but I don't know. I mean, I could see a 16 or 17 year old that, that, that had a neighbor of similar age he was into maybe peeking through the telescope to get a glimpse at her. He, I think maybe he gets a little bit obsessive about it, but you know. <laughs> he sets up his camera on the tripod and records her. <laughs> yeah, he sets up a camcorder and records her. The weird part is, is he seems to have enough discretion about this that he won't film her while her top is off. He'll look, but he won't record while the top is off, I think. He's, when he goes back over the video, he doesn't bother to watch the part where she's topless. Which I'm like, you know, at 17, that would have been the part I watched over and, and over and over and over and over. I and over. have a feeling he does watch that. Just, you know, maybe they don't want to include the jerk-off scene right? in the movie. <laughs> they want you to care about Edward Furlong. Right? She's, she's uh, I can't remember the actress's name now, but the, the Kimberly character and, and Kyle, his friend, were all, they were all in their 20s. Furlong was the only actor in the whole movie who was actually even remotely near the actual age his character was supposed to be. Yeah, that's Amy Hargraves. Amy Hargraves. So in real life, that would have been um, statutory right. What you don't see is over at her house, she's got a bunch of pictures of him jacking it in front of the window. Right? Uh <laughs> George wasn't quite that bad Although I guess camcorders didn't exist in the 50s so. <laughs> He would have been there He, he could have been, been there right? <laughs> Hey what do you know, you know So Michael Who is Edward Furlong He's our main character He's our point of view guy He does call in and he orders The brain scan game He gets it pretty quickly From what I understand right Like he puts it in a CD-ROM And it's on his TV communicating with him, right, Steve? Yeah, well, I, I just, I was one moment I wanted to touch on real quick because before the game, Kyle, Kyle calls and tells him about the game. Out of, out of curiosity, Michael calls the 800 number to ask about the game and he initially acts like he's not real interested in it. And then the person at the other end, the salesperson says, well, we're just going to go ahead and send you a disc anyway. So now he's got the disc in the mail, but there's also a scene there where he's waiting for the game where he has the meeting with the principal about his horror movie club. Because the principal doesn't like him showing these violent movies. And the principal actually implies during this conversation that people watch pornography so that they can get an erection and then go rape someone. Don't you see senseless violence is not entertainment? What is it then? Why? Why do you watch these films? Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Help me understand. I guess it's kind of an escape. Like, uh, like lighting up a marijuana cigarette and escaping the real world, hmm? Like watching a pornographic sex film, getting an erection and raping someone, is that what you mean? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think erections rape people, people rape people. That was the line, that was Michael's line. That was yeah. a very Showgirls line for me. There was a moment where it was like, that line belongs in Showgirls. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> right? Okay, so we can't gloss over the fact that when he dials the brain scan number, just some random lightning light show goes off and he gets his brain scan right then and there? Yeah, through this, the phone? Is yeah. that what happens? Through the phone? Yeah, this part, I mean, there's a lot of it doesn't make any sense. Like the TV can hypnotize you and ship. Yeah, somehow they read his brain over the phone so they can decide which version of the game they're going to send him. There's like variations and he's going to get the murder one because that's what he wants. Death by design. Death by design. How can I assist you? I read your ad in Fango and I just wanted to find out what's the big deal. It's the most frightening experience you'll ever have the displeasure of coming into contact with. Sure it is. Look, I've played them all. Brain scan's more than just a game. Yeah, right. Well, 
What's it about? That depends on the individual. What makes Brain Scan unique is that it interfaces with your subconscious. You supply the inspiration and we take care of the rest. Look, R2-D2, how do you really expect me to believe Let us worry about the details, Michael. It's too late for that. It's been decided you'll play death by design. The first installment will arrive soon. Enjoy the ride. There's a moment when he's ordering. He thinks that he's called a voicemail. This ends up being a weird trivia fact, what I'll shove in real quick. For some reason on IMDb, someone shoved in a trivia thing claiming that this movie is set in New Jersey. But they never actually tell you what state the film takes place in. And when Michael calls the hotline to order the game, he gives them a 717 area code, which is actually part of Pennsylvania. So I'm, I'm guessing... I could have sworn I saw New Jersey somewhere. It might have been on a license plate. Maybe it was on a plate. But uh, he gives a Pennsylvania area code, and there's, they're supposed to live in Mount View, and there's no Mount View in New Jersey. So it's a little, little mixed up. Anyway. Are you telling me... What goes on in this movie isn't real, Steve. I don't, I mean, well, most, most of it is straight up documentary. Of, of <laughs> course, obviously. <laughs> they screwed up that one part. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, so he gets, the, he comes home, he gets the disc in the mail. And the first thing he says when he sees the disc is, I don't remember ordering this. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You were on the phone getting this last <laughs> night. Like, how drunk are you? You don't remember getting your brain scanned right? <laughs> And yeah, it's sort of like luring him. It's trying to lure him to play it. So so we have we eventually get the first playthrough of, of the first disc of Brain Scan. He begins to hack the planet. He dials 1-800-555-FEAR. <laughs> hack the Gibson. Hack the, hack the planet. Hack the planet. <laughs> so we learn that Brain Scan is a series of four discs. So we get to go through those kind of in order here. So disc one, Josh. What is disc one? Uh, it's like an FPS murder man thing <laughs> where he is just randomly in the shoes of a serial killer, I guess, and uh, finds himself in somebody's bedroom. Oh, wait, no, no. He starts off on outside the house, yep. right? And makes his way inside, grabs a kitchen knife and just murders the shit out of somebody, stabs him and cuts his foot off, which is weird. Do it. So this isn't like a video game in the sense of the video game when we think of that term, right? This puts you into a reality simulation, right? Where it all feels and looks real world. They were almost thinking like what we're doing now with like all the 3D headsets, like the Oculus and the PSVU. I mean, in this case, they didn't require a headset. The TV had a way of communicating directly with your brain. But uh, yeah, it's sort of that idea where like you're, you're immersive to the point where you're not sitting in front of a screen with a, a controller. You're actually like in the game, which I think is a, sort of a novel idea. And it's you literally just kill someone while they're asleep. You stab them to death. That's the game. <laughs> that's, that's the first part of the game. What a fun game. <laughs> what the fuck is this? Like, right. What kind of sick fuck wants to play that? Michael does. <laughs> Michael does. He apparently. I mean, that's the whole point, right? They scan his brain. He's obsessed with all this gore and this mur- murder in the horror movies. And uh, we get some more reasoning later. We'll touch on later. But yeah, I mean, that like, doesn't make sense. So if you're in a horror <laughs> movie, you just want to literally kill someone for fun. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. You know, Michael. Michael was that personality. Michael wanted the experience of it. I think I think that's really the thing is like. You know, we'll give you the experience of it without you actually having to do it. And I think Michael, I think Michael would be into that. All right. Let's say there is a game where you can 
experience murdering someone to your heart's content. Why take a foot? Is it, what, I mean, why not? What, why not? <laughs> Steve, I'm, I'm starting to learn some things about you here. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, 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 think, I think that was just what Michael's brain was looking for. I mean, people play games all the time. Where they do, people do all kinds of shit in Grand Theft Auto they wouldn't do in real life. You wouldn't pull someone out of their car, crowbar them to death, and then take their car to... But pay a hooker for sex. I I would do that in a game, but I wouldn't do that if that was first person and it looked and felt like real life. See, and I think you're in the minority about that because we are within a few years right now of there being Oculus GTA where you are doing it in the first person. I guarantee that's going to happen. There's all kinds of shit like this. This isn't even the first movie that's touched on this topic. There's a movie called Strange Days from a year or two later. It's about a very similar thing where people are buying black market cassettes of other people's memories. Like people are into it. And it's memories of people doing fucked up stuff like robbing banks and killing people. And like, yeah, I, I swear there's a subset of the population that would be way into that. It's like literally killing someone with no consequence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is basically what you do in video games no, anyway. No, Steve, that's different. It's video not. games have a plot. They have an objective. You do kind of side quests for fun. It the, doesn't feel like you're actually hitting someone with a crowbar. Well, you don't but, have the adrenaline. It's what, a totally fucking different uh, experience but, in every way. No, no, I disagree with you. It's the same experience in 98% of the same way, except for that you don't have a first-person view while you're doing it, which is something they are literally aiming for now. There's first-person everything. There's first-person and BDSM porn. It's like, not just the first-person perspective where you see a little doom hand. That's like completely disconnected from reality. You're looking at a screen. You have a controller. Your physical actions do not represent that what is happening in the game. But if the it lo- doesn't look real. Well, not yet, but only because the technology doesn't allow for it. If they could make those games look real and feel real, they absolutely would. If people didn't want the kind of experience you're talking about, nobody would be buying Oculus headsets. Nobody. They may not all be looking to play games where they murder people. They may just want a first-person view in a driving game, but that's that's the whole point. Cinema, in and of itself, is voyeurism. People go to horror movies to watch other people kill people on screen. And, and for a lot of people, there's a lot of people that sit there and go, why would you ever pay to see a horror movie? Why would you ever pay to see Hostel? I don't like the Hostel movies. Why would you ever pay to see people get tortured to death and cut open and dismembered and made? Like, you may not be experiencing it first-person, but it's a voyeuristic experience where you're watching other people do it. And I, I really think people like Michael exist. They, they don't really want to go out and murder someone in real life. But there's some kind of crazy sick thrill that sets people's some brains off in being able to do it. Even, even in Grand Theft Auto, and I understand your point about it not being you doing it there and it doesn't feel completely real. But even still, I mean, I think the behavior is there. People, people play those games as an outlet to do the kind of stuff you'd never do in real life. Even even horrible things you'd never, ever do in real life. But people do them in video games all the time. Like, that's I think that's part of the appeal. People that use Oculus Rifts want to cut feet off. (laughs) Well, some of them maybe, you know. (laughs) I mean, how there's there's people, any any horrible thing you can think of that you're not into. Rule 34. Rule 34 (laughs) is a real fucking thing. Anything you can think of, no matter how repulsive you might find it, there is someone out there that's into it. Absolutely. That's true. I'm not into furries, for example. Oh, God, no. But Steve, on the other hand. Yeah, I know. I mean, I only find them like the most repulsive subset of sexual fetishism in the entire world, but whatever. (laughs) So, like you said, Steve, Michael does really enjoy this. 
Yeah, yeah. After he finishes, he takes a big swig of milk, <laughs> pours it all over his face part. like like a disgusting pig. Comes, lights a cigarette. That's the part I find the most ridiculous. When he gets done with this murder scene, the first thing he wants to do is chug a glass of milk and shove three cookies in his mouth. Like, what are you, six? <laughs> That's the part that I think made it ridiculous. <laughs> Disgusting. Right. Watching him drink milk disgusts me, dude. It is disgusting. I mean, milk's kind of a gross thing to watch people drink anyway. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me, but it's, it's white and it's kind of viscous. And bleh, it doesn't look like something you should be drinking. <laughs> so obviously this does give our main character, Michael, a bit of a thrill. Josh, this gives him, I think, the courage to go talk to the girl he likes that he's been spying on next door. How does that go? So he goes over with this newfound courage to to hopefully ask the girl out who is secretly into being spied on. And he sees on the news report, uh-oh, that murder from that that virtual reality 90s as fuck video game <laughs> totally happened in real life. And in local news, there was a grisly murder in the quiet suburban town of Mountview today. Late this afternoon, the body of 42-year-old William Tebbs was discovered in the bedroom of his home, located in an exclusive west side area of Mountview. Tebbs was brutally so it stabbed. It happened near here. Local police conducted a thorough search of the area. An intensive house-to-house -house investigation Jesus. is now underway. Police are asking for the cooperation of local residents. Did you say something? Can you tell Kim that I'll stop by later? I have to go. That does freak him out a little bit. I think his main concern is probably getting caught because obviously the fact that it's a real murder, Steve says he enjoys, and Steve says that he, you would enjoy it too, I think were your exact words, Steve. Yeah, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> At this point in the movie, I was pretty hooked. Me too. Yeah. I mean, it was a little bit predictable yeah. that it was going to be real, yeah. but still cool, right? And it's like, where is it going to go? Yeah, I mean, I will concede they, they could have done a better job of obscuring it so that you didn't feel it coming as the movie went on but I, I, I agree that's I think the coolest twist of the whole the whole thing is that that it's that level of immersiveness and then Edward Furlong goes to check his freezer and finds evil afoot <laughs> oh my god <laughs> been saving that one up <laughs> yes I have <laughs> Josh why don't you uh, kind of lead us into the next part too he kind of starts panicking but what happens at first, he tries to call Brain Scan back, but the n number's disconnected. And then Brain Scan calls him, and out of the TV, we are introduced with this, like, interdimensional being, <laughs> monster man, kind of graveyard smash type shit. <laughs> the trickster. Hello, Michael. Fucker! Who are you? What did you do? If I were you, I would address that question to myself. Okay, who killed that man? And what's happened? You were there, Michael. You know exactly what you did. The most early 90s thing to ever, ever be put in a movie. Everything from the name Trickster to the haircut to the earrings to the clothes he's wearing. I love every bit of it, but it is the most 1994 thing they could possibly have come up with for this film. 
<laughs> Please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Trickster. What does the Trickster look like, Steve? What's he about? The Trickster looks like Freddy Krueger's punk rock cousin. He's got a fucking purple mohawk. You know, you know what? No, I'm going to take that back. Trickster looks like the child of Freddy Krueger and Prince's corpse. And I'm a, I'm a Prince fan. I don't mean that with any disrespect, but it, he's he's like Freddy with the brown wrinkled skin. He's got this kind of monstery face, but he's got a purple mohawk and these big earrings. And he's wearing like a leopard print shirt. It's a rock and roll outfit. And he's he's like... I don't know, maybe maybe Steven Tyler or Steven Tyler were a demon from the underworld. Like, <laughs> you know? I was going to say, it's been a rough couple of years for uh, Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> Drop Dead Fred, right? Yeah, maybe this is Drop Dead Fred's like final form. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is what he evolved Well, he's into. like an evil Drop Dead Fred. Yeah, that's the thing. He's, 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 not, he's supposed to be there to help Michael, but he's not very benevolent about it. <laughs> he also reminds me of Maurice from Little Monsters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that character. Yeah, Maurice is he's because they're wacky. This dude yeah. is wacky. You know, yeah. he's evil and he he shows up and he's like, "You killed someone, Michael, and I'm gonna help you get away with it." I mean, and he's you know very devil in your ear. But right. he's he's also like jumping on the furniture and he puts on a Primus song yes. and he starts dancing like he does like ska dancing. I don't know what he's doing. I, I mean. The character in Little Monsters is more endearing. The whole film Little Monsters is more endearing. Like, no, no denial there. But yeah, absolutely. When I listened to Siskel and Ebert trash this film, and Gene Siskel said that he's like a low-rent Beetlejuice, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I mean, the two of them were obnoxious in their own right. A lot of their reviews were just outright wrong. But yeah, occasionally you get a gem like that. <laughs> the best videos of them, honestly, are the two of them insulting each other when the camera was supposed to be off. Oh, dude. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> Roger is the only guy in the history to ever answer yes to every question he's asked at McDonald's. Want some salad with your apple pie? Want some french fries with your salad? Want some hamburger with your french fries? Want some shake with your... <laughs> Want some shake? Want some shake? I knew Gene... Anything! I knew Gene couldn't sustain that string for long without a grammatical I don't error. know how many items there are, but they've worked him through the whole yeah, fucking menu. Right. Gene was he in set there a record. Gene was he in the set other a day. record. He ordered every fucking thing they have. He ordered a cone and a sundae. Uh, but why is Trickster here? What is he, what is he here to tell Michael? Trickster is basically, what's the best way to put it? Oh, what's the fairy called in the Ocarina of Time? Hey, listen! It's sort of like the equivalent. Like, Trickster is the character that shows up in the video game for no real purpose other than to, like, help move you along. Tell you how to play the game. Yeah, exactly. Like, they, they sort of have a story purpose to be there. Like, here's the reason so-and-so joined your party. But really, that character is there to just, like show you how to play it and guide you through it. And and that's sort of Trickster's purpose. So Trickster is trying to encourage Michael to sort of keep going on the murder train, but he also convinces Michael that he needs to go back into the game because there's been a witness. There's been a witness, right? Yeah. So like each time there's a disc, Trickster kind of shows up and gives incentive to play the next disc. Right. Right. And this one he says, yeah, you killed that guy. That was real. Now you got to get away with it. And to get away with it, you got to play disc two, which right. is eliminate the witness. Now we didn't see any witness. No. As an audience member. And neither did Eddie for Michael. My, even Michael's like there was no witness. You know, I don't. There's no, there's no one for me to go back for. Except a cat. But I, I was like really on the fence. I was like, is he gonna make him go kill a cat? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> Fortunately, it didn't get quite to there. Yeah, which is a good thing. I mean, 
a cat, they can't, they don't count as like a material witness to a murder, right? You can't like interview a cat. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I mean, yeah. what are you going to get out of it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but wait, we you know, is the first time he sends Michael back because of the witness or is it because of evidence? It it's the witness. Ev- it's the witness. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure of it. And uh, yeah, so he convinces Michael, you got to go back to deal with, and this is, this is the part where Michael, whether it was effective or not is a whole nother discussion, but this is the part where Michael does start freaking out. You can you can tell, I think anyway, Michael was into the idea of this experience enough to want the first disc and to want to play the first disc. But now things are getting so fucked up and freaky. Even he's like, I don't I don't want any more of this. I didn't think I was actually killing a person. I just thought I was doing this in a game. Steve, a man came out of his television screen. <laughs> right? <laughs> there is some sh- there is some shit going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Once you see that happen, it's like, what the fuck is going on right now? Especially if he looks like a demon. Right. You know, and it's like, all right. <laughs> Life has just gotten real fucked up. Like, <laughs> right. So at least, at least there's a moment where, again, whether or not it was effective is another discussion. But at least there was a moment where Michael suddenly realizes this is way more horrible than what he thought was going to happen, and is no longer into it. Yeah, yeah. I like this guy Trickster though. He's got a good look. He's you know, funny. he's a good like devil in your ear, like I mentioned before. He, he's uh, he he's very interesting to see on screen. You know, he's wild. He's crazy. There's there's an evil presence about him. Who killed that man? What was on that disc? The murder. What else? You know, for a minute there, I didn't think you'd go through with it. When he got up and started dancing around the room. Classic. How do you know? I was there. When you cut off his foot, it was art. It was magic. It wasn't supposed to be real! Real, unreal. What's the difference? So long as you don't get caught. If there's a difference, okay? There's a big difference. Just doesn't make any sense. Doesn't have to make sense. All these horror movies you watch, does death, death, death make sense? No, it's not about sense. It's about death, death, death. I didn't kill the man. I didn't even know him. There lies the beauty. You had no motive. It was totally random. Like in the animal world, prey never has a name. It was primal. I can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah, T. Ryder Smith, the guy that played him, has not been in a ton of movies, but he actually is a very good actor. He spent most of his time doing theater prior to getting this. It's part of the reason they wanted him. Is that I guess it's because he had real acting credentials. And uh, he also, he's done the voice for a character in an adult swim show called Venture Brothers. And... Uh, for anyone who's ever played Bioshock, he voiced a character called Sander Cohen in, in the original Bioshock, which is pretty awesome. Oh, okay. Yeah. I went to look him up, and I saw his IMDb had no picture. It just had the blank, empty <laughs> stick figure picture, and I was like, oh, okay. Which is funny, because there are pictures of him online. Like, it's just not on IMDb. In fact, the most recent Blu-ray release of this, the only substantial commentary on it really is from him, which is kind of interesting. Oh. Yeah. So you mentioned that Michael's kind of freaking out. He has yeah. this foot in his freezer. Uh, he goes to bury it in the woods. Now, this is where I think the movie kind of fails, is in between the discs. Yeah. In between Michael playing the discs, where there's this, you know, supernatural, almost sci-fi element that is uh, horror-related, when, when he's just kind of doing his real-life stuff in between, which some of which is related to covering up evidence or some of it's just him and his relationships i think the failing of the movie is in those in between parts especially 
like in regards, I guess we sort of glossed over. There's a scene a little bit earlier where he rides his bicycle or scooter. He rides a motorized scooter. He's got a John Connor motorized. Yeah, he ends up on a weird small motorcycle thing in a lot of movies. And uh, he rides past a crime scene and uh, bumps into a detective played by Frank Langella, also known as Skeletor. And, uh, also known as Richard Nixon. <laughs> right? And many, many other parts. God, he's been in a lot of stuff. But... Uh, the detective basically tells him, you know, you're not needed. You can tell Michael's attracted to the idea of the crime scene just because it's this crazy, violent crime scene and he hasn't had the scarring yet. But the detective basically tells him, go away. Michael goes back by the house where he took the foot later on to see whether or not it was really real and bumps into that cop again. So a lot of the in-between scenes are supposed to be the Frank Langella detective character putting the pieces together and suddenly realizing that this weird kid he keeps bumping into is part of the larger picture. But I don't think they... They could have made more of it. That's That that side B story could have been more intense, and I, I agree with you. They, they, they wasted time in between discs, I think, not doing enough with some of that other stuff. Right. Yeah. Like the foot burial, for example. Pretty fucking lame I- yeah. scene, in my opinion. <laughs> I was going to say, Wolfie totally tries to, to get yeah. the foot... <laughs> Wolfie, a.k.a. Max, right? <laughs> yeah. He gets a German Shepherd in both movies. Hey, Janelle. What's wrong with Wolfie? I can hear him barking. Is he okay? Fuck you, you little dipshit. <laughs> yeah, he, he Wolfie takes the foot, runs away. He gets the foot back. Here's the thing that caught my eye. I didn't know this, but apparently Michael has a superpower. He has super camouflage ability. Because every time he hides in a yes. bush... No one can fucking see him. And it's very obvious because the camera can see him very clearly. Very clearly. And they had to do that bit twice (laughs) during the course of the movie. It's like once was already hard enough to buy. Do you really want to double down on this? Sneak 100. (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, it turns out uh, Michael is solid snake or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that level required stealth. (laughs) So Trickster kind of comes back to Michael when he's alone and talks him into disc two. Josh, how does disc two go? Because disc one was all first person perspective, kind of seemed like it might be unreal. What about disc two? So he gets the the bright idea to record himself playing disc two. My name's Michael Brower. I'm 16 and I'm scared to death. I'm not sure what this tape's going to prove. But if I'm a killer, consider this my confession. And then he just comes to and the disc is already like there's like time logged in on the game. There's time missing. And then he goes back to check the camera, and he just gets up and walks away. Right. And presumably, because he finds his best friend's necklace, Kyle, he finds his necklace uh, in the freezer where the foot was, presumably, I guess, he just killed Kyle. Right. Uh, Josh mentioned the timer real quick. One thing we forgot to mention, when Trickster shows up the first time, one of the things he explains to Michael is that there's actually a time limit to complete all four discs and that you lose in some... They never explain what the alternate ending would be, but if you fail to get... I was about to say, we can't forget this because they never they never do anything with it. Yeah, they never do anything with it. They never tell you what the alternate would be, but they, he does tell Michael if you don't finish all four discs inside the time limit, you're fucked. Some horrible ending's gonna happen. So yeah, he's, he's now trying to burn through these on a timer. Speed run. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's a little more difficult than speedrunning Mario, though. <laughs> so disc two, we don't actually see. But yes, we are told that he has killed Kyle. 
And then Trickster shows back up and says, yeah, well, he wasn't really a witness. He just kind of knew stuff about you. <laughs> right. <laughs> what, yeah. what an old Trickster move. Classic Trickster, right? Classic Trickster. Hello, Michael. Son of a bitch, you killed Kyle! Oh. You killed the witness. Kyle wasn't a witness. He didn't even see anything. Not a witness in the strictest sense. He knew things about you. Kyle was my only friend. And you pissed him off. Nice going, Michael. Got anything to eat? That bit's pretty lame. It is. You know? It's like, why? He wasn't actually a witness, but he sort of knew things about you, so uh, we had you kill him. Yeah. He was like, <laughs> you pissed him off. What? They had a, like, a little tiff. Oh, they had an argument? <laughs> So there are now two murders in this uh, little suburban town. So the cop, Frank Langella, his name's uh, Lieutenant Hayden in yeah. the movie. He does pay Michael a visit. All my notes just say Officer Langella. <laughs> Officer Langella. <laughs> I, yeah, that was, it, I, and I almost always still think of him as being Skeletor, even though he's been really, he's been, not only has he been in like a hundred different things on stage and screen, he's very good in most of them, including in Frost Nixon. Can I just, but, he is sleeping through this movie. Yeah, like I, I don't know what was going on. I have a difficult time understanding why Langella even took this role. <laughs> he had a car payment. <laughs> yeah, something like that. And you know, Michael Caine. Michael Caine had a line once, totally unrelated, but sort of related. I think he was in the, what, the third or the fourth Jaws movie, and he was asked in an interview about how he felt in retrospect about having been in such a horrible Jaws movie, and I can never remember verbatim exactly how he phrased it, but he basically said, I've never seen the movie, and I understand it to be awful, but I bought a new house with the money I made doing it, so everything's fine. Right. (laughs) It's a business. Yeah. Right, and some actors like Christopher Walken have been very forthcoming in saying, I will basically take any part that gets offered to me. So, you know, which you can't hold against him. You may as well get the work while you can. But, <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling Langella just wanted the paycheck or something because he's way above most of the rest of this film. And you're right, it was, he was like catatonic through a large part of it. <laughs> him and Furlong both. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> Officer, like, Ambient Langella. <laughs> uh, it's very good. They call me Ambi. <laughs> uh. He interviews Michael, and Michael is extremely suspicious, right? Michael has, didn't show up to school on the day of the murder, right? There's, there's a lot of things that are... He doesn't just question him. He, like, straight up talks shit. He's like, yeah, we went by your school. All your classmates were talking mad shit. Called mad you shit. weird. A freak. He <laughs> said you have a small dick. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle said that one. Oh, he's already dead. Sorry. Uh. You haven't been in school lately. No, I haven't. I've been sick. Sorry to hear that. Where do you have? We heard a lot about you today from your classmates. Really? Well, good stuff. Well, no, to be perfectly frank, Michael, you were described as, um... What was that word they used, Sergeant? Frightening. Frightening and strange and weird. Freak came up a couple of times. So suspicions are high, and Trickster is, uh, is still up in the attic... Uh, making a mess he eats a raw chicken and he says i fixed myself a little snack 
That just was funny to me. I, I like that moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, that is a, a Maurice moment if I've ever seen it one. Is, you know, and, and I again, I still think Maurice is the way more endearing of those two characters. But yeah, if you're going to have a character like Trickster in your movie, he's got to do a few little things like that. He's just a complete fucking freak weirdo. So... <laughs> Disc three. Disc three. So Trickster talks Michael into playing disc three. He says, look, when you killed Kyle, you left some evidence. You left a clue. Disc three, just go in and remove the clue. You don't have to kill anyone, but, you know, you can if you want to. Yeah, that's right. No more murder. <laughs> so based on that, Michael does agree to play disc three. And also Trickster kind of gives him an ultimatum in a way. He says, you can play it or you can always kill yourself. <laughs> so, you know, you got that You got that out. <laughs> Which I guess is the equivalent of turning off the game. Right. Remove the clue. Josh, how does disc three go? Okay, so he finds himself in front of Kyle's house. The tricks, or I guess it's not the trickster, it's just trickster, tells him, remove the footprints in the mud or something like that. Yeah. And then instantly calls one of the cops investigating Kyle's house and fucking tips him off and makes Eddie Ferg's job way more fucking harder. Yeah. I believe there's an intruder in your yard. Who's this? A concerned citizen. He switches it to expert difficulty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> he thought he was playing beginner mode. But yeah. So now there's a chase. It just so happens right around this time, the the townspeople have, like, formed a fucking town mob, like, pitchforks at the ready. Yeah, the Langella character's got, like, a night a neighborhood watch force set up to, like, help him close in on the killer, which is the dumbest fucking thing. <laughs> You're gonna send a neighborhood full of untrained, unarmed people out after a person who's been murdering and dismembering people? Unarmed, you say? One of them is not unarmed. Yeah. <laughs> but, he's, but he's not supposed to be armed. Langella specifically tells them, whatever the detective's name is, specifically tells them, if I see a gun in anyone's hand, I'm gonna, I'm gonna arrest you too. Like, you're not supposed to be doing that. And they do it anyway. Of course they do. Yeah. It's course. a lynch mob. Right, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, smart smart idea. Well, I mean, he was sleep sleepwalking through most of it, so I'll, I'll forgive him. Stay Ambien. Yeah, you know, that's I'm still coming down off the three Ambien I had this morning, so you guys <laughs> to go do half my job for me. Just get a fucking town mob. I don't know. <laughs> and so this definitely is not going to end up with someone getting killed. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the principal, right, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. And... Uh, He's got the gun, and they're all searching around in the dark, milling around buildings, and uh, a police officer police officer comes around a corner with a gun drawn because he mistakes the neighborhood watch folks for the murderer they're looking for. And, of course, they mistake the cop for the murderer they're looking for, and Mr. Police Officer gets shot. Yeah. Somehow some debris kills the teacher. Right. Yeah, well, he, he, Michael gets chased, and then the, the scaffolding and somebody's house that's being worked on collapses on the person chasing Michael. But I mean, the, it's another point I found a little strange about the story is that, like, after the cop gets shot, this, this guy's got a badge and a uniform and everything. Everyone, including the Langella character, is happy to just be like, oh, yeah, this guy must have been the murderer. Or is it the other guy they pick? They decide one of the two of them must have been the murderer. Yeah, yeah I think some people are declaring that it's the murderer, but uh, Langella is like, uh, no, this is right. this is my guy. Like, that, right. was, that was Sergeant Martin. That was, yeah. his, you know. And That's then, right. 
Eddie Furlong goes back and like yells at Trickster like, uh, you, you said I wouldn't have to kill anybody, but I don't think he did. <laughs> you did you that, didn't. bro. <laughs> yeah, no one told you to do that one. <laughs> yeah, because this is disc three. This is third person perspective. This isn't like video game feely at all anymore. Now we're just seeing it through the lens of the movie, right? right? At this point, why do I even need the disc to start, like, covering my tracks? What are the discs doing at this point that I can't do myself? Like, I literally just walked over to that house and, like... (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess they don't always show it, but, like, he's supposed to put the disc in and sit down in front of the TV and go through that hypno process every time he plays a new disc. Right, but he could just do it outside of the disc. He could have just covered up the tracks. Uh, well, yeah, well, I yeah, I guess in reality that's true, but they see I don't want to ruin the twist, but they do end up sort sort of not well, but sort of explaining why that's not the way it was done toward the end. Yeah. I guess you're right. Then Michael goes home from that whole evening of chaos and uh Kimberly sees him come out of the woods. And, right. You know, there's a level of suspicion with seeing that kind of unfold. But I re- want to real t- quickly talk about Kimberly. There's a moment a little bit earlier in the movie, and it's kind of just out of nowhere. Michael just has like a wet dream about her. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, he yeah. just has a dream where he's in her bedroom and she's wearing this little slip and she's like riding him. Yeah. It gets <laughs> way more erotic when the, the old bald guy starts choking him. Yeah, that's right. She transforms. It's like very much a Pet Cemetery 2 scene. Yeah. There's a very similar scene in Pet Cemetery 2 where like the dad is like with this woman and they're like having I don't think they're banging quite yet, but they're having an intimate moment. And right. then she turns into a werewolf all of a sudden and then he like wakes up. Right. I think I'm remembering that correctly. It's been a while since we watched that, Steve. I always figured how oh, the pod we lost. I always figured this was maybe I'm wrong, but this was like Michael's fetishes almost coming together and then becoming ruined for him. Like he's always been obsessed with this horror stuff and the murder. And I still contend he, he engaged in playing this game because experiencing it in first person was something he wanted, but now it's turned into something horrible and frightening and it's not something he wants anymore. And his brain is so traumatized. He's sort of, it's sort of conflating in his dreams. At least it's sort of conflating this other fetish, this girl, you know, and he can't even enjoy that anymore because it becomes consumed by, the guy he killed Hmm. you know i I think that's what they were going for but maybe that's deeper than what the movie really no i dig that yeah (laughs) giving it something you know right what do you think about the uh lieutenant hayden going into his house with no warrant and just like taking some of the ashes what's up with that man yeah that one that one was real interesting and michael had burned some stuff in the fireplace and detective is smart enough to see that there's stuff having been burnt in the fireplace even though it's, it's summertime and it's warm out yeah, I mean that's that's it's another one of those moments that I think the ending sort of does pseudo explain. We do find out at some point without ruining it that there's sort of a reason that some of the normal life rules wouldn't apply to the situation. But you're right in the moment without having that reasoning, it's kind of like why would he have been allowed to, or been able to just go in and steal evidence from inside a house? Yeah. Disc four, Josh. Michael has the, the final disc, disc four. He has to eliminate another witness. Why don't you lead us into that one? So it's basically stated that disc four, you got to kill your girlfriend. That's the title of disc four. <laughs> kill this chick. So he finds himself over at her house, just somehow, I guess, through hypnosis or whatever, even though he could just, just wander over there and fucking kill her. <laughs> 
he does go over there and grabs a knife. And this is where the movie really starts to kind of fall apart for me a little bit. Well, he grabs some scissors, sir. Oh, scissors. <laughs> I'm sorry. So let's let's break this down like piece by piece. What happens when he's in this bedroom? At first, he tries to slice up Trickster, in which case it like just goes through him, right? Right. So this is the first time that Trickster actually shows up during one of the murders, right? Yeah. And then Eddie Eddie Fergs says, "You know who are you?" And Trickster replies, "Don't you know? I'm you." Michael, you wouldn't do this to me. Who the hell are you? I can't believe you still don't know. Michael. I'm you. No. So I open the floor to you guys for that one. Let's just let's let's simmer on that one. Savor that Steve, one. what does that mean? This is our first big reveal twist. Yeah. Trickster I, is actually Michael? What? They don't what? look anything alike. No. <laughs> no, I mean, and I think you really need the full ending to make complete <laughs> sense of it. But, like, at, at, I think as we build, you sort of find that Trickster is a function of the game, but he's also a function of the... Like, this game sinks with your brain, and it hypnotizes you, and it pulls certain things from your consciousness in order to make the experience more immersive. And I always took it to be that, like, Trickster is representative of the worst part of Michael. Not that he's a bad or horrible person in his day-to-day life, but everyone's got that sort of dark kernel. There's always a bad side to every person, and, and Trickster is sort of the game's embodiment of the worst part of Michael's personality and the darkest regions of his brain and that's what's been drawing him further and further into this experience and kind of makes it that much more horrifying for Michael to sort of come to terms with what we were talking about earlier like the idea that he would is a part of him that found enough potential pleasure in the idea of experiencing a murder that he wanted to play a game built around it okay you know I think think it sort of expands from there here's my commentary on it so it's like Fight Club right where There's the two main characters, and you find out that they're actually the same person. Not dissimilar from this. Trickster says, I'm you. I'm, and we were meant to kind of glean that he's some part of Michael's subconscious, at least. Maybe not a physical being that Michael inhabits from time to time, but something within his mind. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think you're off, but I would say, you know, the big distinction there is Tyler in Fight Club is... There is no Tyler. Tyler is a function of Jack's mental illness. Tyler is Jack's second personality. Mm-hmm. Tyler is the the one that Jack goes and acts through when he wants to do stuff that Jack wouldn't normally do. Where in this, like, I think you're right. He's a part of and an extension of Michael as a person and a part of Michael's psychosis. But I, outside of the game, he doesn't exist for Michael. Like, he's, he's, he's not real in the game either, but Michael doesn't encounter Trickster when he's living in the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, he only encounters Trickster inside the realm of the game. So I think you're right in the sense that he's an extension of Michael psychologically, but I, I, I would say the distinction there is Trickster is still ultimately a product of the game gleaning from Michael's psychosis or psychology rather than him being the result of a psychosis. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my opinion, but... It just seems a little bit unearned to me in the context of this movie to be like, I'm you, and it's supposed to kind of wow the audience, right? That's a... They sit on that line for a moment, right? Right. They, 
We've been wondering, who the hell is this trickster guy? Where does he come from? We know he's part of the game. He's somehow connected to Michael. But, like, what's the real story? We're going to find out at the end. And this is what we find out for this moment in time, at least. Right. It's a tad lazy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can see that. I, I Again, I, I mean, it's certainly not perfect. I think you need the whole ending to contextualize it. And, um... Well, right after this, uh, Trickster inhales Michael, like... Like, it reminded me of, like, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, wherein he unhinges his jaw and tries to swallow Jacob. Yeah. And there's, like, some crunching sounds, but he's inhaling him, and then you see him, like, swimming around his eye like art in Mortal Kombat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's some good shit. It's, um, he falls into the sunken place. You know, and uh, yeah, so, oh, yeah. but it's really like a merger of the two characters, isn't it? Yeah. At this moment. Yeah, yeah, well, or, you know, two parts of Michael becoming one again, depending on your perception, but yeah, or absolutely. Possession this is all going sh- down in Kimberly's room. She's observing this. Right. We see her perspective. She sees them both. Right. She sees them merge. She's wondering what she took. <laughs> and she's she, she sleeps in some very sexy lingerie. Yeah. Very, very interesting choice. Right. <laughs> she's like... Let me put on my sexiest attire before I go to bed, and I will also leave the light on. Well, uh, but then, see, it's really hard to dance around this part without ruining the twist. But again, we've got to bear in mind, this is not what these people would be doing in reality. Well, I think we're there. Why don't you go ahead and spill it? Well, the the ending basically culminates with her trying to convince Michael not to kill her and to, to shake away the trickster part. And then through that, it becomes apparent that none of this was real. Like, every moment of the film we've seen since Michael inserting the first disc has actually all been part of the game. It's all a dream, whatever. It's all a dream, yeah. didn't happen. Right, it felt like days in his mind, and the reality is he's really only been sitting in front of the TV for a few hours. Right. And so the reality is that, like, a lot of these behaviors are not... Like, the Kimberly character wouldn't necessarily behave that way. That was the way Michael's brain came up with the way she would behave, basically. Okay. And he's he's obsessed with her. He's got a crush on her. He sort of fetishizes her. He films her. So, of course, like, in the teenager's brain, she's sleeping in the sexiest lingerie his brain can come up with, you know? <laughs> and it's it sort of she's this... like Emma Frost, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, hell, it's the kind of thing I would have thought of at 17. You know, I'm, I'm not thinking about what she looks like wearing an oversized baggy shirt and a pair of jeans, like, you know. So during this whole thing, when Michael gets shot by Lieutenant Hayden, who shows up at the last minute and seemingly dies, we find that he's not dead, Yeah, right? and, He wakes fact, up. Yeah, and, and, and the whole thing was all fantasy. I mean, and... And that sort of goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago where he merges with Trickster is like, Trickster's just a function of the game. Like, Michael, Trickster partly did come from Michael's mind. There's no doubt about that. But Trickster is also a function of the game. So he doesn't exist for Michael outside the game. This whole experience has been in the game. And uh, and everything that's gone on has just been within the context of the game, which also, I think, explains away some of the weird inconsistencies, like the detective not needing a warrant and stuff like that, because this was all... It was all part of basically a psychological game, and it, it's just, you know, in the moment in a game, you don't you don't need everything to be real. You're not even necessarily thinking about things being less than real. So, yeah. So it all makes sense, actually. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. Even the part where they scan his brain through the telephone. Right, that, that part, is, I just cannot explain that, because that exists outside the game. I don't know how the fuck that one worked. But, uh, yeah. That was before he started playing. Yeah, that was before he started playing. That was a real-world moment. It makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) So, Josh, 
Michael finds that the whole thing was a dream. It was in the game. None of it was real. What does he do? He turns the movie into like a rom-com, teenage rom-com for like 10 minutes, <laughs> runs next door, tells the girl, that, or goes to tell the girl that he loves her, and then he runs into Kyle, who's still alive. Kyle also, I guess, hooks up with a girl, and um, uh, yeah, is. Here's the thing. It's supposed to be like, yeah, it's not real, but she does secretly spy on him. So how would he know that? Yeah, that's another weird one. She admits during the gameplay that she's also been taking pictures of him and that turns out to be real. And that's that all good point. Not explained at all. How how because he didn't know she was doing it. His brain couldn't have incorporated that into the game because he didn't know she was doing it in the first place. I like how like he spies on her when she's naked, right? She that's that's what his thing is. He likes to look at her tits. But what she does is she likes to take very artistic photos of him sitting on the balcony and reading <laughs> that she's, are like in black and white. She's more like the female version of that character from um American Beauty, the camcorder. Hmm. Now he's only interested in the art. Yes. I'm I'm it's it's I'm not interested in sex with you. I'm interested in the art Well, that guy of your was existence. interested in both the art and the tits. Well, yeah, exactly. It was a little yeah. crossover for him. You know. <laughs> And then the dog still has a severed foot. So I don't know about that one either. The, the dog? Yeah, there's a moment. The German shepherd he keeps encountering. He encountered it once while he was trying to bury the foot. And then a Wolfie. second time. Yeah, Wolfie. Well, the, well they, they were hunting for their party was looking for him. And there's a moment at the end where the dog runs past the screen with the foot still in its mouth. And that that one, like... I. I've always struggled with ever since the first time I saw this. I think it's supposed to be a wink. I think maybe you're supposed to think that maybe the game hasn't ended and that this is just an additional level. Maybe it's a, like a double mind fuck. Steve, like, <laughs> I can imagine you in a like, dark room, like smoking a cigarette. Like, <laughs> I've struggled with that scene for 25 years. Yes, that's me. I don't right? know what to make of it. Even at 11, my parents would walk in. I'd have a pipe in yeah. a dark room. My father would be like, what the fuck are you doing in here? In your study. <laughs> my study. <laughs> like, I'm analyzing brain scan dad. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't make sense, Pops. What does it all mean? <laughs> right? My father would have grabbed me and said, go outside. <laughs> Stay out there for six days and no yeah, food and no water. Right? Yeah, that's why I'm named Bear Grills. Wait a second. <laughs> so it doesn't end there, though, does it, Steve? Um... The doesn't. answer is no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, Corey. I knew that. John Connor goes to school the next day. Oh, that's right. And he decides to give brain scan, which he's going to show for the horror oh, club, yeah. to his principal to analyze, to review, to say if it's okay to show to the club or not. Basically kind of like passing the buck, right? The story doesn't end here. We're going to get a brain scan too, and it's going to continue throughout different people. This is the new lament like configuration, baby. They're supposed to be customizing which version of the game you play based on your personality, which is why Michael got that version of the game to begin with. So, like, it's not the right version of the game for his principal. Oh, wow. So that's really going to freak him out. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to fuck him up real bad. And Trickster is there. I mean, this is a guy who think erections makes people go rape other people. So Yeah, he's not all there, is he? <laughs> no, no, apparently not. He's definitely not the Henry Winkler of high school principals. <laughs> So, I mean, Trickster shows up. I guess it, you could either take it either way, right? Like, maybe it was all real, or it's kind of like, you know, in his head, that's what he would see. Right. And it's kind of an imagination thing. It could be perceived 
Yeah. Either one of those ways, right? Yeah, I agree. I don't, like, between that moment and the dog, I don't think you're really supposed to be definitive. I think the, the movie's supposed to leave you with some of these little questions, like, is the game really over, and how exactly does that really work? But, yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Josh, I have a question for you. What's up? Knowing what you know now, would you play this game? Would you play Brain Scan? Oh. You know what? Probably. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a confirmed yes? Yeah. I, I think I would probably against the wishes of the game developer, I would probably probably get uh, drunk or something like that. Maybe some other mind-altering <laughs> substances and just give it a, yes. give it a whirl. <laughs> Yeah, brain scan isn't fucked up enough. You got to play it on acid. Me as well. Yes. <laughs> I mean, fuck. I'd play the hell out of this game. Absolutely, I would. Oh, you sick fuck. I swear to God. It's all fake. What's the problem? It feels real. <laughs> Your mind doesn't know the difference. Uh, well, You're still going to have like the after effects of having killed a man. No, I'm pretty my, sure. My brain knows the difference once I'm out of the game. Come oh, on. You're kidding me. Oh, no. Come on. <laughs> Why not? Why not? This is like that argument that GTA makes kids kill no, each other in real life. it's nothing like that argument. It is. It's nothing. It I is. don't believe that, that that is true, first the, of all. The people that make that argument are like the people that made this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, like, I, it, you're just taking the exact same thing and upping it one level. I, I guarantee you if this existed in real life, they would sell tens of millions of copies of it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I mean, maybe I'm going to jump on the video games, do cause violence train. Dude, there are people <laughs> that like, I mean, I don't, I, I'm going to say, you can edit this out if you want, but I'm going to say, it. there are people in real life who get off having other people stand on their testicles. If there are people who like that, there are people who like anything. There are people who like anything. If this game was real, people would play it. What's 100%. wrong with people standing on your testicles? I mean, that's, fucking nothing you if that's what you do. No, it's okay. I don't need that. <laughs> I, I know my opinion on that particular experience, but if it works for someone else, that's fine. <laughs> Steve, any final thoughts on the movie before we do ratings? It only ran for like two weeks before they pulled it. So I guess that <laughs> speaks a lot about the quality of the film. <laughs> it was, I mean, per, per what you were saying at the beginning, it was also in theaters up against some pretty substantial competition. I think if it had been a slower month, maybe more people would have gone to see it. But yeah. But that's about it. I mean, how do you compete with Clifford? How do you compete with Clifford? You know? Good question, man. <laughs> any luck with that chocolate? So, any luck with that chocolate? Any luck with that chocolate? Any luck with that chocolate? <laughs> right? I mean, and the weirdest part about that movie is, in theory, it's the, the, the audience would potentially overlap. I mean, you know, the kind of person who wants to see a movie about an adult acting like an, an ad, a weird-ass adolescent kid... Might all go so go see a movie about teenagers playing video games that they didn't know a whole lot about it. I do want to say real quick that the makeup work in this movie is pretty great. Yeah. The trickster makeup, the way he looks. Yeah. It was done by a guy called Steve Johnson, mm -hmm. who has uh, a resume as long as my leg. <laughs> uh, he's worked on uh, Elm Street 4, Big Trouble, Little China, Men in yeah. Black, a bunch of other big name productions. He's He's great. Um, but yeah, I think Trickster looks really cool. He does. He does. The The makeup and everything came off really nicely. It's interesting for a movie that was reasonably low budget. It, it actually all looks pretty much fine. There's no big glaring production value issues that I noticed. Yeah. So 
it does kind of feel like an 80s movie yeah like an 80s horror movie and i was trying to put my finger on why and i think it's the lighting yeah it has it's like dimly lit in the way that an 80s horror movie is yeah (laughs) you know and i think you find with cinema with clothing with a lot of things early off in any given decade you're still dealing with a lot of leftovers from the decade before like you know, the difference between 1989 and 1990 was a day. A, a day doesn't change the aesthetic of the world. So I think you look at a lot of the films from the very early 90s, and they were still carrying around bits and pieces of, of the aesthetic from the 80s. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. But let's get into ratings. <laughs> Josh, on any rating scale you want, how are you going to rate Brain scan. Brain scan. <laughs> brain scan is ready. <laughs> I'm going to give brain scan six severed feet out of ten. Ooh, good rating. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, really enjoyed parts of this movie, and it really wasn't until like the uh, the last twenty minutes or so that it kind of fell apart for me, and I don't think it quite recovered. But I'm glad I'm aware of this movie now. I d- I had never seen this movie. Uh, this is. I'm going to add this to my Halloween wheelhouse. This is fun. <laughs> nice. So uh, thank you, Steve, on that. I'm going to go next, and I'm going to give this movie 7 out of 10. It's all a dreams. <laughs> it was all a dream. <laughs> what a cop out. But you know what? Despite that complaint and yeah. any other complaints I may have lodged throughout this podcast, this movie is very watchable. Yeah. And it's kind of fun. And it's definitely a movie I would have liked as a kid. It's a damn shame I had, haven't seen it until 2021. I, I would have watched the hell out of this as a kid, having the like the crazy supernatural person that just intervenes in the kid's life is a, a very much a trope of movies that I liked as a kid. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> this is very much the review I was hoping we'd get from you. Absolutely. And even though some shit is predictable, some shit is stupid, some of the acting isn't perfect. I don't know, man. I just, I like this. It's not I, bad enough to be offensive. I'm drawn to this in, in kind of the same way that I, w- I liked Johnny Mnemonic a yeah. lot more than I thought I would. Yes. And I liked Hackers more than I thought I would, yes. although that movie has some cringe shit in it. But <laughs> that aside. I still love that movie so much. <laughs> that aside, this movie is cool. I've seen a lot of hate on this movie yeah. online. Uh, this movie does have a 13, 13% on Rotten Tomatoes, which isn't good. No. Watch this movie at your own discretion. If you want to be uh, sucked into a 90s stupid video game-based <laughs> premise with Edward Furlong and a supernatural sidekick of sorts, and you don't expect a whole lot out of it, I'd say this is a movie yeah. for you, if that's your very specific niche genre of film that you want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. And maybe it won't age well for me as time goes on, but where I'm sitting right now, having just watched it, I like it. Yeah. You're up, Steve. I'm going to give Brain Scan... I'm going to go with 7 out of 10 tricky, slightly monster-esque sidekicks. I, I, I pretty much am on board with you, Corey, and Josh as well. Like, it's not a perfect movie. There are a lot of moments to nitpick. It was not a great work of cinema, even when it was new. But despite the things that aren't good about it, there's something kind of engaging and entertaining about it. It's easy to get through. It's relatively fun. Definitely a large part of it for me is nostalgia from the early 90s. And perhaps people that don't have that same nostalgia won't find the film as enjoyable. But uh, but yeah, I, I agree with your, your review. I mean, and based on the fact that I still enjoy watching it, 
so much later, so many years after it was made, I, I think I think it'll hold up in the respect that we've been talking about. It's never going to be viewed as a great work of cinema, but I think it'll always have that nostalgic, vaguely entertaining, kind of fun and easy spirit to it. And you're right, it very much is in the in the vein of some of those other early 90s movies. Hackers is better, but, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a fun one. It's a fun movie. <laughs> All right, Josh. Thank you very much for being a guest on this episode. If our listeners want to hear more of you, where can they do that, and what do you do? Okay, so you can go to Review Inc. or type Review D-O-O-D. Come over to my channel where I make garbage. (laughs) You make garbage. Wow, what a great description. If that doesn't sell (laughs) your channel... I don't know what will, man. Come watch some crap, everybody. (laughs) Josh does some great movie reviews. I highly suggest watching what he does. Josh, what's the most recent one you did at the time of this recording? At the time of this recording, uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Or no, 5. I'm sorry, I'm getting them. They all start to blur together after a while. (laughs) It's 5, The Dream Dream Child. Child. It is, There you go. Yeah. Yeah, and that was Danielle Harris, I think. And she ended up appearing as an adult in... No, she was in the remake of uh, Halloween, I think. Which one did Rob Zombie remake? Halloween. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of that shit. Yeah. If you, the listeners, liked what you hear, please leave us a positive rating and written review on Apple Podcasts. That is the best thing you can do to help this podcast. We don't ask for your money. We just ask for your uh, positive feedback. Oh, wait a second. I'm asking for money. Okay. If Steve asks for your money, you can send him a check. <laughs> Also, give this video a thumbs up on YouTube and leave a comment. Even if you don't listen primarily on YouTube, that will help us out. So subscribe to us there. Also, if you just listen to our movie reviews, that's totally cool. But our YouTube channel, I try to put some uh, a little bit of variety on there. I put shorts to promote upcoming episodes. I create memes and other little edits that are specific to YouTube only. So check those out. Also, if you want to communicate with me, BigDumbMovie at gmail.com or our Instagram, BigDumbMoviePodcast. You can DM me there, too. I think that's about it. Josh, thank you again for joining us. Steve, thank you for making the trip. It's been a fun episode. You guys are my buddies forever, to quote this movie. Buddies forever? (laughs) High five. High five! (laughs) Thank you all for listening. We love you, and good night.